kind of feel like we're back for the second time, even though it's the first time for the third episode. Yeah, I mean, that's the magic of technology, that when you you do make a mistake or when your your tech guy makes a mistake, no one knows about it. He just gets away with it. Yeah, we're not going to say his name anyway, but, you know, um, we did do... I mean, we did start off the show and... With, well, he forgot to press the record button. So it, I mean, it was probably the most charismatic start we've ever had, and kind of a one-time deal. You actually had to be there to to to, to experience it, and now it's just lost. I, I, I loved it. I loved it, but yeah, you know what? It's gone. It's gone, and uh, yeah, we have to move on. Oh, but we've got a lovely show this evening. I have yeah, to say, really have yeah. I, do you know? I was looking forward to the show for a long time since last week. Mm. So what six seven days seven days yeah yeah I mean the the last one was 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 so good in terms of actually getting to 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 speak about. I'm I'm super surprised it's still up I really really am given the content uh, and some of the reveals I'm I'm so surprised it's still there I do have to say that a lot of the stuff that you were saying a lot of people have been like wow I didn't even know that I didn't even know that and. I was sitting there and I was saying the same thing. So, yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, obviously, today we have a great show lined up for us. Um, we've got Brad here and we've also got a special, special person on the line right now who has uh, got an abundance of information that he is willing to share with us today. And um, I do have to say, he... I would love to pick his brain today, so <laughs> Nathan, how you doing? I'm good, mate. It's nice to be here. It's so good to have you on the show finally, and uh, yeah, we do hope that you are a mainstay as well. I'm I'm super excited he's here. I've been Nathan. I probably met Nathan coming on probably about two years ago, um, mm. and my knowledge then was was very much quite elementary in a lot of things. Um, and, and really, really, really woke up a lot of this stuff and filled in a lot of the gaps. And I've been saying ever since we started this podcast to Chris, oh, Chris, we've got to get my friend Nathan on. We've got to get him on, got to get him on, got to get him on. And it was, uh, it, it, we, we've got him. We've got him, everyone. we got him. I feel like we need the applause button. <laughs> Wait, can we have that? Can we have that? <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> That's yeah, the one. That's the one. <laughs> really okay. Nathan, the, everybody. The tech guy wanted to get us for, for um, you know, bringing it to the light that he kind of messed up. But it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. We got the applause in the end. We got the applause, yeah. That's right. I mean, a false start and then a false sound clip, it's, uh, it's, it's lucky we don't pay him. <laughs> well, they say, they say it happens in freeze, right? So we're just waiting for the third one. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> so Nathan, um, how are you feeling today? How you how you been today? Good, mate. To be honest, um, I've just been racking my brains through uh, some of the notes that I uh, I kind of wrote up for the show, but I, I don't really know. Like I said before, how much I'm actually going to get through, and I'm not too sure where you want to take it and where you want to start. So I guess I'll leave that up to you. Um, perhaps you can. Yeah, start off by asking me some questions or no Brad problem. Or no problem. You want to do it well, obviously, you you met Brad two years ago, and um, and you you helped him fill in a lot of um, holes. 
where did you get your information from? How did when when did you start um, getting to to understand how this this whole world works and the system and things like that? I've never really been asked that question, <laughs> so it's, it's a quite a difficult one to answer, I guess. But from the age of about fifteen, I think. I just started to ask questions about different things that were going on and I've, I've never been one to go along with things. I've never been one to go along with um, generally what I've been told about history and other things. And just like I think Brad mentioned, I, I can't remember now if it was in the first or the second show. I think it was in the first show. Um, funnily enough, 9-11 was the one thing that woke me up to many other things you could say. Um, I guess it's quite difficult to know where to stop. I guess that was the point where everything kind of fucking fell to bits, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is, um, you start to discover that perhaps things you've been told, um, yeah, it's hard to explain, but. I, think, I guess that's where it's not. Mm. I, I think 9-11, as, as me and Chris glossed over, there's so many people say, well, how did they get away with it? If it was as you're saying it is, how did they get away with it? And I think if you look at the sheer number of people that, that woke up at that moment, they really yeah. didn't get away with it. It was, it was so glaringly obvious with so many um, plot holes in it that they really didn't get away with it. And it is, it is a testament to how many people that it, it woke up. Um, to, yeah. to, to to our way of thinking. So yeah, nine eleven was at least for for maybe if you're looking on a, a generational scale for for our generation, was was the, the 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 big thing was the cataclysmic event that allowed a lot of us to be. I don't, I don't want to use yeah. the ter- I don't want to use the term woke because it's, it's it's got so many connotations oh, with it now. But <laughs> oh, I, it was I, the I, one I can't that stand that, that word. <laughs> no, it's awful, isn't it? But it's the one that let us be awake, let us separate from the matrix. So yeah, nine eleven was a yeah, I, I, yeah. I think most people I spoke to, it, it started with nine eleven. Isn't it mm-hmm. funny? It's funny. Like for me, I I, I just remember the whole um, when I was starting to get to know everything and nine um, eleven. I think I spent I probably spent a good month going over everything because I just couldn't believe it that I, I didn't see that in the first place but I guess here we are and and I'm glad I see it for what it is now so yeah um so as you said that um it's it's uh it was probably only about it's probably five or six years after it happened um obviously when when it did originally happen I was only probably you know 11 12 years old so I'm not exactly going to take any notice but at that point um but i think it was just as i was coming out of school again it's very similar to brad um yeah i just i guess i come across it and i almost went down the exact same path as brad as well uh i saw 9-11 loose change and a few different films related to that and yeah it kind of just created a complete kind of paradigm shift in all of my thinking and um the way I looked at the world and just kind of opened up some doors that I never thought would open up, if that makes sense. So, yeah, sorry, it's a bit difficult to explain, but... (laughs) Trust me, it definitely, it makes sense to me. I I, I do have to say, it makes absolute sense. And um, it's unreal. And um, if you haven't uh, looked at 
lose change. Like Brad was saying a few weeks ago and what Nathan's just said now, I would definitely recommend you to um, watch Lose Change and it will literally change your whole opinion of everything. And I think um, on YouTube, I think you can rent it. I think it's like four ninety nine, something like that. Um, I mean, YouTube or BitChute, I dare say you could find it free in some um, corner of the internet. It's, it's absolutely going to be there, the, the Lose Change second edition. But I, I find it interesting, even with myself, if people were to, to ask you, you almost have to speak about your almost as if it's, it's a former self it's like you know when when did you stop existing as a as a um, as just an entity in this system when did you stop you when did you disassociate yourself from your barcode or your number and become a a, a free-thinking sovereign individual it's it's I, I mean i can't imagine the life that i led before it and i can't imagine the life that i would have continued to have led absent that kind of that spark of curiosity and at the time when it happened so many of us were so young that we didn't realize how immense that single event was and and, and going back to it it's yes absolutely crazy i mean i i I don't know I've, i've thought so often what was the what's the defining factor in in what what brought that curiosity about for us that made us of of all people go back and have a look at it and and find that interesting and um, there's there's something there but yeah it's it's oh it's crazy I, I I can't understand people who haven't looked into it that's more curious for me people who it, it happened at some point in their life and it that that's it, it there was no interest there the the single greatest act of of at least open terrorism. And there's there's generally no interest on in it, but imagine the kids these days. Similar things will happen, and before they have the opportunity to allow their curious curiosity to wonder and and dig into history and all these other odds and ends, they're going to have a phone chucked into their hand. They're going to be put on Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, and that curiosity is going to be satisfied with much more, oh, just just horrendous things, much more superficial, materialist things, and than what's you know where how, the moment our freedoms were stripped away, the moment we began illegal wars, and God knows what else. Yeah, hundred percent. It disappears into obscurity, like something like that happens, and then it just disappears into obscurity, and then it's like okay, carry on. Um, and yeah, as you say, everyone just forgets about it, even though the entire planet basically changed after that point. Um, but people seem to they don't really connect the dots between the two mm. so it, yeah. ha- it you know it, it not in the same way and one could never link the two um, in that you know you could but it happened to everyone 9-11 on, on some level or another it happened to absolutely everyone and it's it was it's it was a key to, to really kickstart so much of what we've been talking about in the past so many weeks, what we're going to be talking about tonight, what we're going to be talking about for the the, the future. It was it was the, the the big introduction to everything. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, obviously, the the main topic of the show um, is the the Great Reset, and um, I. I you know, I've struggled to sometimes, obviously I know how things uh, may work, but how is it that these things are happening and uh, people are getting away with doing things so blatantly, but people are so oblivious to what's going on? 
Do you want to fill in there? Exactly. Shall, I, shall I jump in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so your question was, how is this all going on? But how are people so oblivious to it? Yeah, and it's so blatant that, um, well, it's so blatant to those who can see, those who have got eyes to see, but yeah, not to the rest of the world. Um, I think really it's because people have just got used to things being the way they are. Um, I think we've gone through a long, long process of indoctrination and progressive change. And we're all like frogs, you know, the, uh, the analogy of, um, the frogs being bored alive slowly over time, um, and I think that's what we all are. <laughs> Sorry, it sounds a bit dramatic, but I think uh, we don't know our own chains because we can't see our own chains, mm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with I, – I was going to – in regards to the World Economic Forum, um, obviously I wanted to speak, to speak about some different things. Um, other than the World Economic Forums, which I think may help fill in some of them gaps. Um, just to, to, for, for my answer to, to Chris's question, although you summarised it absolutely fantastically, I think if we were in a, a, a natural world where we weren't surrounded by electronics and media, that, that man would ultimately discover his own purpose, and it would be a lot quicker then it would be... I mean, there's so many people today that are in their, their mid-20s, their 30s, their mid-30s that still don't know the reason they're here. Uh, and, and so many people are lost and, and, and just have no idea what the, the point of it is. And it, it seems very strange to me to, to reach such an age where you don't know what to do because what, what you believe your purpose is is confined in a paradigm. So they'll essentially say to you, well, you, these are your options. You can either... Uh, go forward with some kind of humanitarian uh, act and you can either earn absolutely no money with it or you can be, it's almost like almost being a celebrity in a way. If you become popular in some philanthropic pursuit, it, I mean, I, I, I'm starting to really question, especially when we're seeing philanthropists like Bill Gates now rising rising up the ladder. Uh, if, if they're not more by design, the ones we hear about are not more by design to shed the baggage of, of some previous um, questionable activity. But people aren't being allowed to discover their purpose, and especially more so of technology. Before you really know what you want, before you really know who you are, before you have the chance to grow and develop those characteristics, you're given a purpose. And the purpose that everyone seems to be given now is worship at the altar of the self you're here to have a good time that's that's your purpose on life you're not here for a long time you're here for a good time so go out do what you want to do take what you want to take abuse what you want to abuse just take 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 and that's the purpose of your life and and most people once they're set on that course that's how they define themselves. They define themselves by the brands they have, the money they have, the car they drive, the job they do. I mean, how many people when you, you you'd speak to them as an introduction for the first time and you say, um, tell me about yourself. They'll say, oh, well, hi, I'm Tom. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. I'm a, I'm a banker. I'm a, a recruitment agent. I'm, the job is always the first moniker that gets really after the name that, that is the defining factor 
And, and when you ask people, don't tell me what you do for a living. Don't tell me about your job. Just tell me who you are. It's such a difficult question to answer. It's, it's, oftentimes, it's kind of an existential question because they just don't know who they are absent these, these titles of, I, you know, I like this music, I do this. I, all these things that exist in the cube, they, they only know these answers. Yeah, 100%. I know so many people like that. And um, it's a shame because they don't, they don't realise it, um, what they're doing. And uh, I think I was speaking the other day to someone about, um, there was a, an elderly guy who worked at a, a business for like years and years and years. And um, just doing the same thing over and over again, didn't want to do anything else. It was happy just to go with everything. And uh, it's probably not going to go anywhere. And I, it's got no direction, nothing. Mm. Mm. Just happy to just go along with everything, and uh, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. You've you've got people that are just not. I mean, I've we, I know a f- fair few people, unfortunately, that they go through the motions that are clearly not meant for them because that's the only motions they know. So you'll get people that will uh, settle down for want of a word, although they're never actually settling down these days. I think Jordan Peterson did a big talk on this how. Men these days are essentially very much like the Lost Boys in the Peter Pan uh, novels. That they they never really want to grow up; they just want to stay young forever. And you've got guys in their you know their late thirties or forties. They're still not ready to settle down. They're still not ready to commit. They just want to stay these these Lost Boys forever. That are no responsibility. They don't want kids. They don't want marriage. They don't want a family. They don't want anything. They just want to. They just literally want to shed it all. Um, it's uh, it's mad to me to think that people can live a life with that level of there's no foundation to it where's where's your security where's your i mean there's nothing there there's literally nothing there there's no there's no financial security there's there's nothing there to to basically safeguard you for a happy life um i mean i very much think that i've got an immediate family member who has more or less lived this life when he's he's never been He's never been prepared to kind of grow up and, and not follow his heart and mind and follow a, a different part of anatomy that seems to be the leading uh, pointer on the compass of men these days. And he's now in a position where he doesn't seem overall happy. I mean, he's got, he's got the house, he's got the car, he's got all these different objects and he's financially absolutely set up. There's, there's nothing on the horizon that's going to shake him from a financial level. But there is a fundamental missing point in that, in that, that he doesn't, um, he's not spending the end of his life with someone that, that, that makes him feel like it was worth it and he's ready to, to face this bit of his life. So it's, yeah, it's quite... It's all quite sad, really, when when people don't don't try and look for a purpose. They just let one be given to them, and then follow through with the meet someone, settle down, but don't settle down, buy a house, have kids, and then just ride that out till you die. Because they don't, they can't imagine a world where there's anything other than that. Even though it's it's not meant for them, it was never meant for them. It's not where their their heart tells them to go. It's not their personality type, whatsoever. But they do it because there's no other option that's at least presented to them and that they have, you're not rewarded for thinking, are you? You're not rewarded for, for essentially being, what do you want to do in your life? What do you, you know, you're not encouraged to do anything other than, than go to work and try and earn as much money as you can and then use that money to 
bide yourself over with all the temporary pleasures and the material items that will just keep you going. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Nathan, where do we start? Yeah. Where do we start with uh, with this great reset? Do you know what? You see, this is the thing. This is my problem with it. So when when people talk about the great reset, I think people are just being reactionary. So, for example, with COVID, COVID's come along, and the World Economic Forum's come out with this idea of the Great Reset, and everyone's jumped on board, thinking that this is oh, this is exactly what we need. Oh, the Great Reset is the answer to all of our problems. But what they don't realise is that the Great Reset is nothing really new. The Great Reset is really an agenda that's been basically put on hold for years and years and years, and it's been on the shelf gathering dust and COVID really has been the catalyst and the basically the thing to bring all these agendas off the shelf. And they've wiped the dust off of these agendas now and have finally got the reason for putting them all forward, if that makes sense. So like, for example, with Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, um, all of the Habitat projects and all of the other projects that the United Nations and so on have basically had on the the uh, on the table for a long time. So really when people talk about the Great Reset, they're talking about something that's a lot older. And the only reason people even know about the Great Reset and all of these other things is because of COVID, if that makes sense. So people are going, oh my God, COVID's ruining the world. It's ruining the planet and it's destroying the world's economies, um, so on and so on. There has to be a solution to this. So the World Economic Forum has come forward and said, oh, here's our solution. It's the Great Reset. But really, it's not. Nathan, do you, sorry to interrupt, do you think that the the, the phrase, the Great Reset, yep. is, is a, a strategic term that's been brought about intentionally to divert people's attention or, or the ability to really research into lots of the past terms, the past organisations. Um, do you think it's, it's strategic that they're using this this great research? Do you, I mean, could you conclude that they've had any hand themselves um, in kind of spreading it? Because in my own research, it seems that for a kind of quite controversial and quite nefarious project, they seem to be pushing out a lot of trailers and, and quite open about really pushing that. And it's a brand, pushing that brand out there. Do you think that's intentional? That is exactly what it is. That it's it's all of the old agendas with a new dress on, if that makes sense. Mm. It's just all of the old agendas with a new dress. And it's a it's basically a propaganda term. It's just a PR term for everyone to swallow. Yeah, so it's nothing new. It's like it's like the term new world order. Mm. Everyone uses that. Everyone throws that around. Mm, mm. Um, but it's it's really a meaningless term now. Mm. And if I'm honest with you, there's no difference between the New World Order and the Great Reset, mm. um, if that makes sense. I've, I've heard the two be used interchangeably. Um, and it yeah. almost sounds like, as, as we were talking briefly earlier, earlier about, you know, uh, philanthropy, um, that they've taken, yeah. as, as they did with, with Mr. Gates, they've taken an individual mm. that, that certain negative connotations yeah. were, were latched onto um, and and then gone with this philanthropic mission to make him this new bastion of of our future. Um, and it seems maybe that the 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 new world order 
people started to realize and recognize what the new world order what it what it involved what it included and what that phrase represented and it seems maybe they've dropped the phrase new world order now and the the great reset is is the new one that is exactly it that's that is exactly it yeah but, but people get hung up on it um just like they get hung up on bill gates because he's been put out there as this almost like this person you're supposed to throw tomatoes at if that makes sense. Or like, pies. Yeah, or pies, exactly. And he's the one that you should be directing all your anger towards and all of your frustrations and, oh, my God, your Bill Gates is the one that's doing it all and that type of thing. And, yeah, the World Economic Forum is kind of the same thing. It's it's like, it's just a veneer. Um, and if you, if you get past that veneer, um, I think you can get to the more of the meat of the... Um, or what's really important, but they don't want you to, obviously. They want you to stay, again, they want you to stay reactionary. Oh, COVID-19 is the problem. Oh, the Great Reset is obviously the solution. But what people don't realise is the Great Reset is all of the old agendas just redressed and re-represented to the public, basically. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, I'm sorry, I, I probably didn't explain that very well. No, but no, just... no, but I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think, I, I mean, the, the the phrase "new world order" obviously wasn't satisfactory for 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 where they wanted it to go, and the the, the change in thinking. I mean, we've seen so much. Um, it's, I won't say leftist because I don't really believe in that whole kind of left right paradigm, really. Um, but that we've we've seen so much. Um, what's the word publicizing now of that more kind of that that mindset in regards to sort of renewable energy uh immigration food shortages water shortages all these different things uh, and the reset sounds oftentimes a lot more palatable because it's essentially saying to people things are not great are they it's almost it's almost communicating with us on a on a, a like for like basis as though we're in the you know we're all in it together things could change you know housing prices are bad and petrol prices are bad isn't isn't your isn't your shopping expensive isn't just living expensive and i think that that it is it's a strategic term really to make people accept that this this reset is is going to be really it's going to be good for them it's going to be a good it's going to be a good future. It's going to be a bright future we're heading into now. The whole point. You see, we're so fed up with everything. So uh, if, just take it back a second. So, right, before COVID, so the World Economic Forum has existed years and years and years, obviously. And all of these groups have existed for years before the World Economic Forum. It's only, it's only after COVID where they've used this term, as you said, the Great Reset. And it's only after that point that it would even be relevant. Because if if without COVID, you started throwing around the term the Great Reset, I don't think anyone would care. I don't think anyone would actually take any notice. Um, and COVID's helped to, or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, this whole pandemic has basically helped to as I said earlier, it's helped to catalyze all of their plans and everything else they've had in place for years and years and years. They've just been waiting for this one moment and this one thing to come along. And no one, I don't think anyone really knew exactly what it was going to be. Um, people speculated. 
And I don't think anyone knew this, this whole thing was going to come along when it did and so soon. But to be honest, I think it, it fits the bill perfectly. It ticks all the boxes. It does everything. It just seems odd that this whole pandemic just fits, just fits like a glove mm. with everything you wanted to do for mm. the past hundred years or so. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we, we know, we know all of us here that, that, um, um, prior to, I mean, with, with 9-11, uh, and I believe it was uh, the, the PNAC, was it Project for a New American Century, um, yep. when they detailed that they needed some kind of uh, cataclysmic event to bring in a new system. And I think they phrased it as, as a, a helpful Pearl Harbor that would yep. allow them to bring in a new system, but not only to bring in a new system, to no, to, to bring the people along along with it, to, to bring these people alongside them. So it, it, it does, as you said... It's a very loaded question, but it does. We, we were left with two real possibilities in this: in that either they have been preparing for a great cataclysm for a long time, a long, long time, and no good catastrophe goes to waste, and they've rolled this out in 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 reaction to this very last second. The other one doesn't really bear mentioning in the fact that it could be some kind of intentional introduction of this pandemic into the into the world to, to bring about this change um while we're on that that subject in that mm-hmm. particular topic um we have got really two key pieces that people should should have a look at in in regards to that way of thinking that do support that more than the the notion that it was uh, we were taken completely surprised. So first of all, we have event two hundred one, which was handled by the hosted by both John Hopkins and the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation. Uh, that was they did a live simulation event two hundred one at the tail end of October two thousand nineteen, and what it was, it was a simulation of a zoonotic outbreak of a coronavirus. Um, ironically, um, and to see how all of the players in the world would respond to that, how the people would respond to that, how they would basically handle this outbreak. Um, and it's it's surprising that, that less than two months later, we had the exact same outbreak of the same virus, the same zoonotic virus by bats, which is what they specified on the Event 201 simulation. And many of those key players who were actually at that simulation are now the same players that are running the events in the world today. So we've got Event 201. That's that's definitely worth a Google. I do believe they've even put up a disclaimer on their website saying, oh, look, we know. We know Event 201 looks exactly the same as what's going on right now. It, I mean, in, in every possible way, it's the same scenario. But it's just a coincidence, honest. Um, and if anyone's looking at that, obviously what you want to look at as well, and, and me and Chris have, have glanced over it briefly before, before 9-11, they had a, a simulation exercise of exactly the same thing happening that ended up happening. Uh, the 7-7 bombings in London, they had a simulation of the same trains and buses at the same times at the same station being bombed as what actually happened on the day. And I believe they had a, a statistician come on to the radio and say, we were actually running a drill 
on that day. And the, the radio presenter was like, How, what are the statistical chances of that? I think someone did work it out a number far higher than I can kind of recall. But the, so you had that, you had the, uh, the bombings, uh, the, the Boston bombings, which also had a, uh, a simulated event exactly the same before it. So it, it, if we're going to look at the history of these big operations or these big, what, what we're sold as unforeseen, unexpected terrorist attack, they have a very curious trail of having identical simulations run just before the actual event happened. It's, it's very, very uncanny that they happen a mere day or the same, often the same day as the actual event is happening, which tends to confuse the emergency like services. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, they're telling you as a legality, so I, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but yeah, that's, that's how it seems to me half the time. When these things happen, it's like they, they always tell you somehow um, – even if it's like a, you know, a cheap way, mm. um, yeah, yeah. So we've, I mean, we've, we've, we've got event two hundred one. Uh, so have a, if you're listening, have a Google at that. And we've got just one other one, which is uh, the uh, Rockefeller Institute in 2010 wrote a, a paper um, on basically it was a manifesto paper for the government on how to get the people to accept technologies that they had previously refused to accept. So we're talking biometrics, we're talking any kinds of implantable biometric, any kind of data. So basically, accept the, the, the vast sweeping um, infiltration of privacy-destroying techno uh, technology. And they, I think they did about five or six scenarios that gave them all different options for... It's, it's so strange that the, a, a big institute like the Rockefeller Institute would create a document for the government suggesting ways to force people to uptake technology that completely destroys our way of life. But the interesting one, they had one which was called Simulation Lockstep. And Lockstep said that the governments of the world could release, intentionally release, a, a zoonotic form of influenza. And they said that it would spread from maybe wild geese, what I think was the suggestion, but it would start in America... Uh, as not sorry, it would start in China, and then from China it would spread over to America, and America would be publicly lambasted for the fact that they were so complacent and so lazy with the uptick of how they handled it, which is exactly what we saw with with Donald uh, Donald Trump and, and the U.S. getting attacked for just not responding quickly enough. And they said through this outbreak, um, it would be all these different technologies would be brought in and they would be told that they were necessary and that they were a means to control this outbreak and to stop the spread of it. And and this was 2010. So it's, it's very, very, very curious. that It's almost exactly what we're going through now. And it does detail that even after, even after the pandemic had been brought under control, that the authoritarian regimes and the, the restrictions, the revocations that were brought in to control this would not be removed and they would remain in, in place. So, again, have a, if you haven't listened, do have a Google of Event 201, do have a Google simulation lockstep. It, it does support the notion that this might not be this organic, unexpected arising and they're just taking advantage of a, of a very timely... Um, outbreak. I think you're a thought criminal, to be honest. <laughs> I should be knocking on the door any second with the black bag.
Oh man, that's crazy. That's crazy. So, I, I know we um, we touched on um, reasons, but what is exactly the Great Reset for those who don't understand it and don't know what it is? To which go for it? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to give the exact definition from the World Economic Forum because I don't see the point. Because, um really what they're telling you I, I personally don't I don't think that's a, a realistic reflection of what um, what the Great Reset really is it's propaganda they'll tell it? you sorry it's propaganda exactly it's that's marketing. exactly what it is yeah it's, it, it is, it's PR it's marketing it's basically I'm not going to swear but it's one of them words but um, they basically tell you it's the Great Reset is the erecting of all of the world's problems and they tell you that they have all of the answers because they've they've got together all of the you know the biggest international company uh, corporations um the different heads of government the policy makers and all these different people together and they know best and they know how um we're going to get ourselves out of this and or, or should i say they know how they're going to get us out of this. Um, but basically, what the Great Reset is, is the implementation of the United Nations Agenda 21 and all of the subsequent agreements and environmental agreements on sustainability and so on. Um, so yes, the implementation of those agreements. And those agreements are... Um, it's probably a bit long-winded, but... Um, <laughs> That's what we're here it's, for. It's basically... I guess these are my words. It's, it's not their words, but... It's the consolidation, the centralisation, and the privatisation of the world's land, resources, um, and eventually people, and the commodification of people. And their definition of sustainability um, is basically that the planet can't support the population at its current level. So things need to change. Governments need to get together. Again, corporations and so on and so on need to get together to try and work out how the world is going to move forward. But they give you you know, the rainbows and fluffy animal story side of things. But really, um, this whole agenda and this whole sustainability agenda is is basically about control and the eventual depopulation of the planet. And they're not going to tell you that in the World Economic Forum Great Reset PR piece. But ultimately, that's what it is. It's it's uh, It comes down to the eventual complete control and depopulation of the planet. I'm sorry that's a bit harsh, but that is basically exactly what it is. And this is this is completely traceable for at least the past 150, 200 years. Um, and if you want to go back that far, it's, yeah, as I say, it's completely traceable. Um, but if you want to just go back 20 years or 30 years, it's uh, very easily traceable and provable. 
I think we've um, yeah. I think we've got some individuals even in our, our current time that have said some rather concerning statements re- re- regarding the population i think uh i'm not sure if it was prince charles so we i've got immediate to my, to my mind of prince charles and david attenborough and what what, what i think I think it was Prince Charles, but I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, said that if, if he was to be reincarnated, he would come back as a, a killer virus to, to, to wipe out the world's population. Yeah. But we had, um, we had both them, Prince Charles and David Attenborough. And, and not a lot of people know, Boris Johnson's dad wrote uh, several books regarding bringing down the world's population um, and has been quoted several times regarding the, the statements he's made. Um, and Boris Johnson himself, when asked about it, when asked about his father's kind of um, authorship of these books, has had had backed up that view and said, yeah, the, the world's population is too high. And I think it's incredible that we're not looking at ways to reduce the population. So it's quite, I mean, it's, it's quite concerning that we've got the, the leader of our, of our country, a democracy, who has a... a, a, a uh, what would you call it? A, it's a hobby eugenicist on the side, and has come from that lineage where they believe that there is a, a genuine problem. Um, just while we're here, and and from your your research, I don't know because I, I haven't honestly I haven't touched onto this side too much. Do you believe that there is genuinely a problem regarding uh, population and identity? Because I, I always think this whenever I go on holiday. And we fly out from the airport and you look out your window and you're, oh, we're, we're going, the excitement is there. The sheer amount of empty land is just shocking to me. And you see these tiny, tiny, tiny clusters wherever you go, both when you're flying out of your own country and you, when you fly into the new country, you'll see tiny, tiny cities and villages, but vast, vast open land. Um, and I'm sure obviously a majority of it is, is agricultural land. It's for farming. It's for, for other pursuits. But in your opinion, are we facing a mass population crisis i i don't think so um i definitely don't think so but the thing is again you if you if you were to try and do research into this yourself you're always going to come up with the answer that yes there is a population problem there is a population crisis and so on and so on um the trouble is what they don't tell you as well is that the most of the problems are to do with resource mismanagement and the issues they always raise are to do with like for example they always bring up the west and say oh well we need to control our consumer patterns and obviously this is a massive thing that um, a lot of the members of the world economic forum and so on are talking about and especially uh people like David Attenborough as well, um, and all these different spokespeople for this this whole agenda. Um, they're always saying, we need to bring con- consumption down in the West. We need to bring consumption down overall. We need to curb development, uh, so on and so on and so on. And then they obviously cite the fact that they'll show you a video or a picture of Mumbai or something and say, oh, my God, look at all these billions of people crawling around everywhere like ants. We're just so overpopulated. But then what they don't tell you is that so many of the resources of the planet are mismanaged. Um, And not just that. Mm. I think they, they have to give you this idea of the world 
that's it's difficult to explain, but they, they give you this idea of the world that's doesn't match reality, if that makes sense. It makes, makes it very it makes sorry, a whole lot of, sorry, it makes a whole lot of sense really when yeah. when I mentioned obviously you fly out and they push you into clusters. It's almost to reinforce that view that you are mm -hmm. stepping on everyone's toes. Because if they're yeah. putting you in a city like London where you never have outside of your own habitation, you never have a solitary moment to yourself. It's re you're not going to. If someone says, "Oh, you're overpopulated," of course you're going to believe it because you you have to get on a London underground every morning and, and travel completely submerged into someone's armpit. Um, it, it's it's incredible, isn't it? They kind of they they create the reality that they say is is just happening to us. They've they've created these systems. That's exactly. Yeah, that's what that's kind of what I was trying to say. Is it's it's difficult to explain we've just basically been following this narrative for so long. That's what I was trying to say. Like we've, we've had it bashed into our head since I guess, uh, probably the seventies or so. Um, and there was an author called Paul Elric. I think it's a, uh, yeah, Paul Elric. And he wrote the, the population bomb and a few others come out with some different, um, books and so on. Um, basically sowing the fear and sowing the seeds of, uh, overpopulation and so on. But the thing is, they what annoys me is they promote a certain type of culture. They perpetuate the culture. They give us the Western cult, give us the consumer society and the consumer culture and everything else that we basically feed off and so on um, through the media and everything else. And then they blame us for having these high consumer patterns and consuming all these different things that we don't need and so on, but they're the ones advertising it to us. Mm. So that's what irritates me. And that's what I was trying to say, like with the whole population question and so on. Yeah. Go to, go to some city in India. Yeah. Perhaps you do have a population problem. Go to London. Perhaps you do have a population problem. Um, but in general, and yeah, if, if you think the world is going to have a, a a consumption pattern like um a country like the UK or the US and so on, you know, that's that's pretty it's pretty much impossible. It's not gonna happen. You'd need like three or four Earths to be able to do that. And obviously that's a point you can understand. But yeah, I I, I don't really buy the narrative that basically the planet is just absolutely overburdened by the population of human beings. <laughs> So that's kind of a, a, a good insight into how the current World Economic Forum gets away with what they're doing, how, how they justify what's coming forwards. From your research, when did, this, when did this start? How did it start? I mean, imagine at some point it went from perhaps a, a grassroots movement to a far more industrial um centralised government movement. When when did this happen? When did this start taking off? So again, I think if we come away from the World Economic Forum, um, again, because I, I, to be honest, again, I, I think that's kind of, it's a good symbol of what's going on and what's happening, but I don't actually think it's as, in, it's as important as uh, people are made to believe. No, it's so where we, we are. It's where we are. Where where have we been? Where How did we get to the World Economic Forum from? Where okay. have we been over the last 50, 100, 200 years? Okay. So really, 
the way I would put it, if I was to explain it the best way I can, there was a, a point where the world's resources, um, and again, like I said before, the world's, the world's resources, the world's land, um, property, and so on and so on, was gradually centralised, uh, privatised, and grabbed, you could say. So from the late 1800s, for example, with the Cecil Rhodes Group, um, it, do, you know, do you know Cecil Rhodes? Have you heard of Cecil Rhodes? I've heard of them, but I, I will have to admit I know nothing really about them past that name. Okay. I'll probably be here for a long time. We'll be going to every single detail. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so for example, the Cecil Rhodes Group and uh, his, he, he basically made his fortunes um, from all of the uh, diamond mines in South Africa. This is um, Rhodesia, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. in Rhodesia mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Um, so if you look into the Boer War, um, I, I won't go into all of this because again, I'll probably be here for too long, but look into the Boer War um, look into Cecil Rhodes, look into his foundation and how he basically gathered his wealth and look at what he started. Um, and he gave birth to a group called the Milner Group and the Milner Group gave birth to the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. And that group in turn gave birth to the Trilateral Commission and so on. Um, going back a little bit, Really, these movements started with the industrial tycoons and all of the people, like I said earlier, who started to gather up and acquire and centralise the world's resources, mainly oil uh, in the Middle East and so on after World War One. And from that point, you had the development of different foundations, like, again, as you as you uh, mentioned earlier, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, and so on and so on. Um, and then after World War Two, for example, you had the, the formation of the United Nations. And from the United Nations, all of these consequent agreements that all of the world basically signed on to um, were given birth to. So they were given birth to from the United Nations um, yeah, so, and out of the United Nations, you have the, for example, the Rio Earth Summit. And from the, the Rio Earth Summit, you had Agenda 21. Um, and Agenda 21 built the framework for the, I guess you could call it the Global Sustainability Program. And the Global Sustainability Program is exactly what I'm basically, I was trying to get at earlier. Um, that was the precursor to really the Great Reset. Um, that's just, it's just basically Agenda 21 um, redressed. Nathan, do you, I, um, sorry yeah. to interrupt you again. Do you believe that these, do you believe that these groups are unrelated or do you believe that they are just a continuation through the generations of, of the same I mean, even could it be? Are they the same families? Or are they related? Is there some kind of uh, like common stock that they're all being pulled from? Or is it just kind of? It, 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 is it kind of something like if we think of cryptocurrency, where you got a few early adopters, then other people realised it was flourishing, people jumped on at different stages. Are they all unrelated and just realising that this is a a commodity that can make them a lot of money? Or do you feel that this is 
this is deeper rooted. This is something that's about more than than just making money. They are one hundred percent. Every single one of these groups are all working towards the same end, and they always have done. All of these groups, every single one of them, and it, again, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and give references because um, I'll, I'll literally be here forever. But if you look up, look up all of the groups that I mentioned and all of the names and people that I mentioned and so on, um, you'll see that there's there's a, it's a spider's web, and all of them are working towards the same thing. All of them um, under the guise of I w- you could almost say friendly competition over the years. Um, seemed like they were, they were at each other's necks and that they were doing different things and doing things against each other and so on, but they were, they were never. They were always working together and always pulling their wealth and resources together and all working towards the same thing. And that goal, again, is... So if you think about it, the world has almost gone through stages like almost like stages on a rocket or something like that so each stage has propelled that projectile basically to the next stage and to the next stage and to the next stage and we're basically heading towards the end like we're 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 at the end stage rocket you could say and again if you look back if you look back at World War One and World War Two, for example, well, I think World War One is probably a, it's probably a, the best example, and it's a better example than World War Two because, again, the only thing we've ever learned about World War Two is Nazis, um, but there's a lot more to it than that. But World War One was really a war about acquiring resources, and the the people and the families that acquired those resources and the land and so on and so on back then are exactly the same people that are in power today, if that makes sense. And nothing's really changed. I mean, I haven't studied too much on World War One and World War Two and their kind of history, but I have, um, for example, looking into the Catholic Church a little bit, it it seemed very much that they used to have a whole lot to do with Nazi Germany. But um, through this documentary I was watching, they were saying that they were essentially putting bids on both sides in the war to, to make sure that whatever the eventuality happened, that they would come up on top. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in your research, have you found or read anything that that kind of suggests that either of the world wars, again, like we're seeing with the pandemic now, was there a, 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 a an agenda underneath them that was far, far more poignant than simply we've got to stop... Uh, tyranny. We've got to stop the Nazis. Was there? Were they what we think they are with the world wars? That's another. I think it's quite a large subject. But to me, and again, it's a very touchy one. And it's something people don't really like talking about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a. It's very, very much a touchy, touchy subject. World War One again was about redrawing the map of the Middle East and redrawing the map of um, Europe. There's a really good book, actually, people can read, and it's called the, I think it's called the World War, World War One Conspiracy. Uh, I don't have the reference right now, but I think if you just, if you type that into Amazon, um, it'll probably come up, and it'll pretty much explain everything you would ever need to know about it. Um, but, again, it was, World War One was about the domination of resources, 
Um, simple as that, really. It's nothing to do with... They, they tell you so many things and so many reasons to why it happened and why America got involved in the war and everything else. But really, it was just a, it was a war about resources and it was, it was the acquisition of resources. World War Two, uh, and obviously World War One put Germany onto its knees, um, and they went through obviously a, a massive recession. Um, and I feel like I, I personally think they purposely created Germany as an enemy for World War Two. I think that's I think that was the entire purpose of that. Um, obviously, the reparations on Germany were massive, and then obviously Hitler come to power. Um, supposedly built Germany back up again to to the power it was, but then again it provided the West with uh, a perfect enemy to then have another world war, um, which then produced the United Nations. But going back to World War One again, obviously after after World War One, the League of Nations was signed, um, the League of Nations agreements. And if you look into those, and again, I can't, I won't go into the details of all of that because I'll just be here forever. So yeah, World War One, I, I personally think it was a, a war about resources and it was to bring the world plan, it was to bring the plan another step forward towards its goal. And then World War Two is exactly the same thing. It was the, re, the, the reforming of Europe. It was the eventual uniting of Europe, which Hitler wanted to do. And then obviously he was bashed for that. But then Winston Churchill come along and said, I hope to have a united Europe, blah, 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 which I think is a bit of a hidden quote. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to find because no one talks about it. So, yeah, the united Europe eventually come after uh, World War II and United Nations come out of World War II and all of the subsequent groups and associations with the United Nations come out of World War II and the... Oh, well, we can talk about the Soviet Union, but again, I think that's going to go into another whole load of different things. Mm. But after World War Two, as well, obviously, we had a new enemy, which again was the Soviet Union, and that gives the world the boogeyman to fear again to perpetuate this false. Again, back then, the Soviet Union was the enemy, just like climate change is the enemy now. Then, then it was terrorism. Now it's climate change again. Now it's COVID. It's like we always have to have an enemy, and these things always give. They always give birth to different things. Like they're never, they're never for the reasons that we're told. It's all, it's all rubbish, really. Mm. <laughs> well, basically, everything you're told in school is trash. It's crazy. Everything it? to, to, to everything think that you're you're not led into to so many insights. I mean, well, I was going to go on. So, yeah, that, that's kind of explained. To, 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 sorry, that was a bit. No, that's, sorry, that, gonna, that's such a, a that's such a massive, um, like you said, such a colossal topic that is is normally um, surrendered to to innumerable books and uh, films yep. and documentaries and and to to try and cover every single every, every, every single thing that, that is involved in that is 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 too mammoth a task for 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 any one person about a, an absolute litany of um references in front of them but what i was going to i was going to mention is that's when you mentioned obviously going up to the war world war Two. so when we're on the cusp or we're being told right now we're on the cusp Can I quickly interject something of course yeah sorry so i forgot a massive point so 
after World War Two, uh, Germany was split into two. So you had East and West. Um, obviously, the East being controlled by the Communist Bloc, the West being controlled by NATO and the West, um, the Western powers. Uh, the reason, another reason for World War Two was to, or should I say, what happened after World War Two was Europe was plunged into debt. Uh, Japan was plunged into debt. The US was plunged into debt. And half of the bloody planet was pretty much plunged into debt. So after this, what come was, again, there's, there's, there's different agreements and different things you can look into. Um, I can't remember the exact names, but it was basically this idea that the world was to be reconstructed under a new type of system. And again, this is this is all traceable. You can read about all of this. You can read about um, the, the sort of system and the sort of culture they wanted to create after World War Two. But yeah, something that came out of World War Two was a completely different culture across all of Europe. A completely way of a completely new way of um, existence and being um, across almost the entire planet. And you just think, why? So yeah, okay, we've had we've had a world war. It's awful, but why does it mean the entire globe needs to change? And why does it mean uh, countries have lost their sovereignty? Why does it mean, yeah, why does it mean the culture has to change? Why does it mean, and so on and so on. So the point I'm trying to get at is that World War II created the conditions for them to create a new culture, a new world, a new type of system to centralise power, to centralise um, resources, again, to centralise everything. And it, to be honest, it could have been something else, but they chose a world war. Mm. Um, we could have another world. COVID could have been World War Three. Mm. And we've been told for, for so long that we were on the we've been on the cusp of World War Three with North Korea, and maybe those yeah. were the, the, they were maybe probing the the waters to see how people would re would react to that and i think especially after the, after the 911 mm -hmm. um we we're very very hesitant very very hesitant and reluctant to enter into any kind of armed conflict whatsoever especially on the say so of of our governments i mean that we who can forget all the cases of well, they've got weapons of mass destruction no they don't have weapons of mass destruction that led us into right. that and maybe that had that would they pushed a little bit too hard of that in the way to, to drag us in. And maybe that it had a finite lifetime using see, that, that kind of system to, to encourage armed conflict. This is what people don't understand. People look at history as this linear, just this linear thing that it just, it kind of just plays out. I'm, I'm trying to think of what word to use. I think I'll just go with that. It's linear. And they think history just plays out the way it does. It's natural. It's a natural progression so on and so on. But again, if you if you look back, every single key event that happens pretty much leads to other things happening. So again, if you use 9-11, for example, the world completely changed after 9-11, just as it did after World War One, just as it did after World War Two, just as it did, you know, again and again and again and again. But 9-11 really, before, before the Great Reset, let's just call it that, um, 9-11 was the, the new catalyzing event to chuck us into the millennium. Um, 
which again we can read into that. That's it's funny in itself that it was two thousand and one. Um, there's a lot of you know. Anyway, look what it did. So we're in the Middle East again. Okay, why why are we in the Middle East? The entire planet changed overnight because of two towers that come down. All of the security forces and intelligence agencies and everything else basically. We lost all of our sovereignty. We lost all of our freedoms, and so on and so on. <laughs> all of these events result in something. They didn't just happen, and then we reacted and gone, "Oh God!" Mm. You see, the Taliban. We need to deal with them. No, we we wanted to go to war with, with Afghanistan. We wanted to go to war with Iraq. Um, and again, mainly is the acquisition of resources, strategic. Mm. Um, the strategic places, you know, I think uh, they discovered that there was over a trillion dollars worth of uh, lithium in some mountain zone of Afghanistan recently. You know, they, they control the world's, almost the entire world's uh, heroin trade, um, which was quite interesting because, so before 9-11, the uh, Taliban actually stopped the production of heroin. And, Interestingly enough, as soon as 9-11 happened, the, the current leader of the Taliban, um, well, at that time, he was gone rid of. I, I, I can't remember how he died, but he died or he was assassinated or something. And suddenly, overnight, the Afghanistan's heroin production went through the roof. So it's like, it just seems a bit odd. So heroin production stopped. And then 9-11 happened, and then suddenly it, it went through the roof. And just funnily enough, all of our troops, I say our troops and not our troops, all of the troops are stationed in all of the areas where all of the poppy fields are. Yep, I've heard that myself as well. And obviously after that... That's uh, it, a fact, it, we know that. Yeah, and it That's came, not even conspiracy theory. It, did, it, did came out, it came out several years after um, when the FBI, I believe, were caught in something called Operation Fast and Furious when they were mm -hmm. essentially funneling uh, both weapons and um, vast, vast shipments of drugs over the over the border. And I think heroin was a massive, massive part yep. of that. And given, obviously, that we, we were stationed out there, um, yep. I, I can't believe the two are completely unrelated. Uh, what I was going to come, what I was going to mention a minute ago, is, yeah, is, is, is one just observation and then just another question. So the observation is it, it very much seems... And I think maybe we could conclude this. If we look at certain tribal uh, tribal collectives, if we look at, um, you know, Aboriginals, as an example, it, it seems that absent any kind of driving force, any, any hand on the steering wheel, any kind of agenda, that people, even in their collectives, seem to find a kind of stabilised homeostasis after a while. I mean, you don't... There are islands that have had no... Um, outside visits for hundreds and hundreds of years and they still exist and although there might mm -hmm. be some smaller scale internal conflicts it seems they haven't reached this point where they've wiped themselves out or they've ever really come close to kind of extinction so it, it is interesting that like you said it seems through history we've never had a stable static moment it's always been a, a big cataclysmic event followed by a, perhaps a small period of um, some would call it peace, but I suppose it's it's better uh, described as readjustment to the newer system till people settle down into the new status quo, and then the next big event happens, and you're giving a little bit of time 
for you to adjust and accept the new system that you rolled into. So that was just mm-hmm. a, that's just a passing observation I find interesting. But the, the question I wanted to ask you, so where we find ourselves now, and we're told we're being on the, the cusp of, of that fourth great digital industrial revolution. Um, mm-hmm. I know after World War uh, Two, we, we obviously started facing the, uh, the, the third industrial revolution. Um, and I think you, you touched on it perfectly in, in all but name. What mm-hmm. we're hearing a lot now is that this fourth industrial revolution can't it, it can't possibly be a bad thing it's it's the 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 next step for us the next step up and that it's not really going to have anything but benefits for us it's just going to be a, a fantastic thing so i know that that you brought to my attention not too long ago um, something that I had had no no idea about, and something that should have been really taught to us when we were learning uh, about yeah. that 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 period in history and the third industrial revolution, um, the 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 Holodomor. Um, yeah. I I would love if you could just give a quick rundown on on what that was, what it entailed, because what we're seeing right now. So if COVID and the fourth industrial revolution are connected, we're seeing a, a, a willing sacrifice on a massive massive scale to destroy one system and bring in another one and yep. when you told me about the Holodomor, and i watched some videos on it it is mm-hmm. exactly that same system several exactly. years ago if, if you could just give the, the people listening just a, a quick overview of what that was i think it's really going to set home that this isn't the first time that large powers have been more than willing and more yep. than complicit to to sacrifice their own people if it brings about change. So, just first of all, I want to just quickly briefly go over what you was the point you made before. I was listening to that question and I was holding on to yeah. a point. So, so just about people a, people finding a, a natural oh, homeostasis. Right. Yeah, I think in general, when you look around the world, people actually, if they're left alone, people do genuinely live in peace. I, I, I think the notion that human beings are just this absolute horrendous, violent race of creatures that just want to kill everything, destroy, every, uh, kill everyone, destroy everything, and so on and so on. I, th- I think that's false. And, uh, yeah, I think people genuinely, generally, should I say, um, want to live in peace. So the issue is they don't give us peace for more than about five years, it seems. And that's because we're going through a constant revolution and, and that's what it is. It, we're going through a revolution and they're using a dialectic on us all the time. So there's the normal, there's a new normal, then there's there's the, the little kerfuffle in between and then the a- adaptation. So again, the uh, synthesis, the an- thesis, antithesis, and the synthesis. And they basically use that dialectic on us Um to shape us and to move us wherever they want to move us, if that makes sense. That's why you never experience peace. Our children will never experience peace and we will never experience peace ever because we're going through a constant process of revolution and destabilization, renormalization, as uh, Yuri Bezmenov calls it. So that's that point, I guess. So so that's why we don't have peace because we're going through a constant revolution. Mm-hmm. towards their goal and that's the whole point because if we're static and I guess this takes us to the next next point so in the Soviet Union when the Communist Party took over obviously they, they expanded um, into different uh, 
countries and zones and so on. And unlucky for them, um, unlucky for the people of Ukraine, uh, basically the Communist Party said that the Ukrainians were too backward. And one thing you've got to remember as well, the eugenics movement didn't originate with the Nazis. It really didn't originate with the Nazis. The eugenics movement um, originated in the UK and then spread to the US and through Europe and so on and so on. But what people don't realise is the Soviets were eugenicists as well. And the Soviets were actually incredibly um, classist, racist, so on and so on and so on. Um, Basically, they viewed the Ukrainians as inferior people. They viewed them as backward. They called them animals. Um, And they basically said they can't be a part of this revolution and this new Soviet system. Um, And they basically had to be um, gotten rid of. Um, It wasn't just that. It was also because the in the Soviet system, obviously they had these ridiculous quotas for grains and so on. Um, again, this is quite a big kind of history, so it's hard to go into, but basically what they used to do, they used to have regional quotas for grains and food and, and, and so on. Um, and you would have the, the Soviet military coming into all of these villages and lining people up and saying, have you got your quota of grain? Yes or no? And if you didn't have your quota of grain, um, what they would do is they'd take every ounce of food you had and starve you to death. And in Ukraine, I, I can't give you the exact date. I know it was, I know it was very very early on. It wasn't long after um, it wasn't long after the uh, the founding of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And it was one of the, the earliest kind of mass events that happened. Around some people give estimates of 6 million, some people give estimates of 11 million people were basically starved to death and murdered because they were basically too backward and they, they weren't going to fit into the new system. And obviously you can go into the kulaks. If you look into the kulaks, again, I won't go into that now because it's just it's such a massive history um, and there's so many things you can go into about it but if you look into that it's the, it's the same thing but it's you the Soviet system was about changing vast areas of land and population to fit their agenda that's what it was about and the thing is again if you you were never taught any of this stuff in school anyway but if you look into if you look into any mainstream history, they'll give you this romantic idea of the Russian Revolution and how it all happened, and they'll tell you all of these different things. But really, the real history is very different from what they uh, they write in the books. But yeah, the Holodomor uh, incident or event or whatever you want to call it was, I guess, uh, as you were saying earlier, it's quite relatable because it just shows you what they're willing to do Mm. to change a system. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so many of these um, people that they were kind of classing as as undesirables or or unworthy to... If you you saw the disgusting things they wrote about them, 
they 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 wrote the most disgusting things about them. They did the most disgusting things you can imagine to them. Yeah, they let they let them eat their own children. Like mm. it was so fucking bad. And if you um sorry sorry, but yeah, if you uh just look it up and try and find some things on it, it's very it's it's very difficult to find anything decent on it. And it, it usually takes you into other areas of the internet you probably don't want to be in. Mm. But yeah, it's definitely worth a look into. But again. And another better example of that is the the communist revolution in China. So, and this probably actually brings us right to where it's kind of full circle. It brings us to where we was at the beginning in talking about the again the great reset and so on. So, back in the mid forties and so on, you had the Grumblings Revolution in in China and everything else. And just to really kind of shorten the history up, um, Mao's. Uh, communist revolutionary party obviously took power blah 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 they formed the communist revolution and basically took power in china with western support so it begs the question again so you say oh this just this was just a natural event so the communist party took over in china they took power and things have just progressed since then and now you have this this modern day china that exists and it's that way because it's just the natural progression of things. No, it was never a natural progression. China was set up the way it was for a very specific reason. And China was set up the way it was to be what it is today, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Which is basically the world. China was set up after World War II to be the world manufacturer. And you can read about this. There's certain books that were released by the Royal Institute for International Affairs where they actually talk about this very thing. And they talk about Japan and China after World War II, how they're going to be re- reconstructed and what their purpose is going to be post-World War II or post uh, that period. And, yeah, so China was built up by the West to be what it is today. And I personally think it was to be a testing ground for what they want to roll out in the rest of the world. And if you look at China today, and if you look at what system they have in place, um, what they're doing for their own population, and all of the different experiments that they've carried out, you get a pretty good picture of where the rest of the world's going. So, for example, with the social credit score, social credit score system, and all of the social media networks, all of the internet systems, and so on and so on, and the internet censorship, just seems odd that... China was piloting all of this. So again, the the smart grid, the surveillance state, all of these different things. It just seems funny that China was testing out all of this stuff. And now we're rolling it out here, over here as well. And we're using COVID as the excuse. For, like for example, with the QR codes. So in China, they've been using these QR codes for everything for years now. They've been using a social credit score for years now. Yeah, like if, if you want to see what's uh, it's gone off a bit, gone off subject a bit. But yeah, if you want to see what's coming down the pike, um, just look at China, study it, and just see what's happening there. How it was basically set up, what its uh, economic policies are, and how it got to where it is, how it treats its people, so on and so on. Um, you can pr- pretty much get a good just of where we're heading and not only that um again this is something that's not taught you in your history books or your your normal history books 
it's estimated up to 30 to 35 million people were starved to death by the the communist government just after the revolution. And obviously not within that first year or whatever, it was over a period of years, but estimate, it was an estimated 35 million people were starved to death by the, the, uh, the Chinese system. And possibly up to another 30 million people were either murdered or basically worked to death as well. So you're talking collectively 60, 60 odd million people killed by the Chinese system and 60 to 70 million odd people killed by the Soviet system. Put that together with the world wars, put that together with everything else in between. Um, you're looking at a lot of people that have died for no apparent reason, really. And a lot of countries that have been destabilized, again, bring up to the Middle East and look at what's happened over there and look what the West has, has done over there. And again, I'm not bashing the NATO countries and so on, but it's like, look what we've, look what we've done and achieved over there. So what on earth do people think, sorry to random, but I guess like, yeah, what on earth do people thinking that like, we're going to go through this wonderful global reset and we, we live in this utopia now where, we have international corporations, multi-billionaires, supposed philanthropists, um, private interests and investment groups and investment banks and so on, deciding what our future is going to be. Exactly. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's so interesting that in, in, in both, of those, uh, both of those examples, You've, I mean, I, I go back to the Holodomor because I know more about it than I do the, the, the China system. I'll definitely have to read up on that one. But you've essentially got these people that are more or less, and if we relate this to where we are right now, you've got these people that are essentially yep. self-sustainable, as the Ukrainians were. Many of them yep. were many of them were farmers, and I said they were looked to to, to, to bring the, the goods to the population. And then the, yep. the, obviously the Soviets come in and, and, and took their 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 produce away took the grain took their ability to to yeah to to provide a living not only to themselves but to everyone around them took that away and then watched them starve and then you know as as you mentioned before i can't find the quote and i've I've had a quick google while you've been talking trying to find it but I, i i do remember that someone i think it was um it was a mother it was a ukrainian essentially wrote to a member of the military as i said you'll have to if you if you're going to research this this will most likely pop up um wrote to a member of the military basically saying we're starving you need to send food and what what nathan didn't really touch on is so they in, inside the ukraine they they shut the borders so even if you were starving in here with no food and no ability to grow food because they took you everything away you you were executed if you tried to leave the country that you were starving in so a, yep. a mother wrote to a, a, a higher ranking military brass and said we're starving you need to send us food and i believe he wrote a letter back to her and said, essentially, I can't remember verbatim what he said, but he said, and don't tell me you're starving until you've eaten your own children. Only after you've eaten your children, only after you've eaten your babies, come back to me and say you're starving. And and, and sent that back to the mother. And there were massive sweeping cases of cannibalism. And the parents who refused to eat their own children starved to death. And then obviously it was no short order until other people, seeing these children left alone, would go and eat these these emaciated children that had no meat on them anyway. And the whole yep. time this was happening, the whole time this was happening, the Soviets said, you might be hearing some rumours from inside the Ukraine that they're starving. They're not. 
They're absolutely fine. There's nothing going on. Very much like we see with, you know, they were saying a while ago that North Koreans were starving. But if you walk through their shops, they had all these shops set up to look like they were bountiful and overflowing with food and vegetables there. But the people were starving. And they were saying, no, yeah. this, is, this is all nonsense. But how it, how, I find it so ironic that in the third industrial revolution, so the fourth one, what are we seeing right now with COVID? We're seeing people that have their own businesses, uh, people that are literally uh, self-dependent, that, 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 that can sustain themselves and their family, being told, your business is closing. So while these yeah. big corporations like Amazon, like eBay, Google, all these guys are making record profits, the, the regular person is having their way of, li- uh, of life taken away from them. And obviously after the Holodomor, once they'd starved out all of these farmers, all of these independent sellers essentially, the, the, mm-hmm. the government took over and centralised it all. So they t- and it's exactly what we're seeing right now. Your regular person yeah. is having all their ability to, to live taken away while Amazon takes up all the profits. I think their profits have gone up by about 200%, they've said, since uh, since it started. So we're closing down all the small businesses and many of those businesses are just never going to open again. It's not like they're yep. going to hang on until this stops and, and they, they, they don't get that, that wonderful tax exemption that the government has granted to Amazon for the last 10 years. Um, they're, they're closed forever. And then what, what do you do when you need everything? It's going over to Amazon. It's going over to, to eBay and PayPal. It's going over to these big companies, Walmart, Target, Best Buy, that are just not going to, they're not going to disappear. It is completely destroying people's chance to be independent, to, to start their own business, to rise up. And not being funny, we're, we're told that we live in a capitalist system and a free market system where you can go from, and that's what defines us, you can go from nowhere at all to the very top of the ladder and all it takes is hard work. But that's obviously not true because they won't let you succeed. No. You're not supposed to succeed because you're irrelevant now. That's the whole point. Like, So you said earlier, like you, you, you basically just said, what, what is the fourth industrial revolution? How is it going to work? It's not going to work. It's not going to work for the bulk of us because it's not supposed to. Because you can't, for example, they say that the future is going to be mechanised. They say that basically a lot of the the jobs that we're, we all have now are going to be done either abroad, they're going to be done differently, or they're going to be done in a mechanised manner. So it's just going to be completely pointless Um it's going to be completely pointless trying to hire human mm. beings for these jobs. How can an economy, well, to be honest, what economy is going to be left anyway? This is the yeah, thing. Every, yeah, every, they've, they've, they've essentially said that. You've got another hook, don't you? Because it's like you start talking about an economy. Well, how is there going to be an economy yep. if there's no one doing anything? Exactly. exactly. I mean, they, I, I, I read earlier that they said that um, – if and this was written several months ago, so this was written around I think August time. They said if we don't see another lockdown in the winter, yep. that we should look to maybe start getting back on our feet by twenty twenty five. But not only yeah, have we locked down now, but we're being told we're going to let you out for Christmas, and after we've let you out for Christmas and have your five days of freedom, we're going to have to lock you down again in January. Yeah. So. If it was 2025 with one lockdown, two lockdowns later, where are we now? Tw- I mean, not being funny, 2030. That's where we're being. That's where we're being Maybe. pushed to. Um, and I, I do. I've, I've just got a, from. Um, so the the, the um, chairman 
of the World Economic Forum. Chris mentioned him last week, Klaus Schwab. Um, he's actually wrote a, a, a book. And for all those people who are saying, oh, it doesn't exist, this, this, this great reset you're talking about, it is interesting. The title of the book is COVID-19, The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. So you can have a look at that on Amazon. But when you said before that it's essentially not going back and this is the end of business, he quoted in the book, so when confronted with it, some industry leaders and senior executives may be tempted to equate reset with restart, hoping to go back to the old normal and restore what worked in the past Traditional tested procedures and familiar ways of doing things, in short, a return to business as usual. This won't happen because it can't happen. For the most part, business as usual died from, or was at the very least infected by, COVID-19. So when the chap who leads the World Economic Forum is saying to you, this is not going back to normal. We're not going to have a, 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 a blip and then we're going to restart where we left off. He's saying things are not going back. This is the, and again, it does surprise me, the amount of people that are saying, look, everyone just do as you're told. When the vaccine comes, take your vaccine, and then we can all go back to normal. Why do you think they're saying new normal, new normal, new normal? We're not going back to normal. No. That's the whole point. That is the whole point, though, isn't it? It's, 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 and I guess that's what people don't understand. It's so that's frustrating. It's, I mean, it, it feels like that they're they're playing it safe right now because they need to keep up the 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 notion that once you've had your vaccine, your life is going to return to how you once you've taken once you've got your freedom pass. First of all, freedom pass, and then you've had your vaccine. You're going to be able to go down the pub. You're going to be able to see all your friends and family. You're going to go on holiday. Life is going to return to as it was, and it, in numerous experts, including Anthony Fauci, has already said you're not going. Even after you've had your vaccine, you're not going back to how things were before. He was questioned on the news, saying, "So once we've had a vaccine, can people take their masks off? Can we get? Can we crack on again?" And he said, "No, you, you, we can't drop our defences just because you've had the vaccine." So when are, when are we allowed to to return to normal? Of course, we're not allowed to return to normal, and. Um, you're not supposed to be. Of course. James, if anyone, uh, YouTube guys, uh, James Corbett of the Corbett Report has a, a really fantastic channel and has a really fantastic video called Your Guide to the Great Reset. Um, and he says in that that the Great Reset isn't a reset. It's a transformation. And he shows that on the World Economic Forum website, you can find what they've called the, the COVID-19 transformation map. And that details how COVID-19 is going to change and affect every single industry, every business, basically every single way of life moving forwards. Um, and the transformation map they've had up has been on their website since 2017. So people have archived copies of this transformation map. And in 2020, all they've done to this transformation map is chuck COVID-19 transformation map on front of it instead of it just being a, a a transformation map going forwards so it's it's i mean it's so interesting isn't it there the, the, that's already been in place all this infrastructure has already been in place and covid has just fell into this perfectly designed system it's just slotted in in the most ideal way and it's 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 backed itself into the the paradigm we've made for it. it's slotted in perfectly and now it's just all lined up it seems if they're i mean for for klaus swab especially he must feel so lucky that this is all just landed on his doorstep in this perfectly presented parcel that's exactly it isn't it but like you like we were saying earlier the the map you was talking about that is agenda 21 like this the the, the agenda 
from when it was first given birth to hasn't changed. None of it's changed. It's just it's just been updated and it's just been tweaked. But it, the foundation hasn't changed. It's mad, isn't it? And it's, it's obviously what they're talking about now. And it's only been made possible by the the uh, increases, the advancement in technology. Um, again, if I take another quote from from Klaus's book, he says one of the features of the force in industrial revolution is that it doesn't change what we're doing, but it instead changes us. So we're not only looking now towards a, and I don't believe it doesn't change what we're doing, obviously. That seemed to be him trying to dance around the subject a little bit because it is going to change everything how we're doing, but he's acknowledging that it's going to change us. So we're looking at a transhumanist aspect to this. Uh, and as you mentioned before, many jobs now are going to be going forwards. They're not going to be jobs as we know them. They're going to be, um, they're going to be, autonomous they're going to be digitized i mean even yeah. in my even in my own workplace i won't um i won't name and shame the workplace they're not altogether a bad employer but what they've decided to do now is a system where you don't go into the store anymore so they've they've uh they've trained all of their guys to use a, a system so when you're on the website having a browse where normally we'd see the product you want you go in and ask questions it pops up and you can speak to the advisor over a zoom call and they'll show you around the store digitally they'll show you the product they'll give you a demo of the product um and then you if you like it they will add it to your online shopping basket they'll arrange delivery for you they'll do everything so the the need to actually go out and physically look at things is not there anymore and obviously even in the last 10 years we've gone from smartphones that were just phones to now full-blown camera systems with a full address books emailing they are our whole world in our pocket and alongside that has come many many peripherals with iot and, and god knows what else um that have been rolled on as part of that so it seems if we're moving forwards when we're already wearing our our earbuds with no uh, no wire we've got our watches on we've got our smart tech indoors we've got our light bulbs we've got our uh, our plug sockets we've got our alexas our google homes we've got all of this all of this stuff the the next level of of um what would you call it? it when i mean maybe you'll know when are they going to go from peripherals to implantables yeah i think that's that's the exact place where it's supposed to go though isn't it that's the what they call the natural progression and again we've already got the the spokespeople for this and for example, like Elon Musk's one of them, and he's supposedly developing. You can probably help me with that. Uh, Neuralink, isn't it? Neuralink. Yeah. So he's developing the Neuralink, which is supposed to revolutionise, you know, how we do everything and so on and so on. But the trouble is, again, we know that's that's a load of rubbish. Like he's a front man. They've been wanting to do this for a long time. This technology's been on the back burner. And they've wanted to roll this out. And they're using Elon Musk, for example, to roll this technology out, just like they do um, with other things like Facebook, for example. Oh, this amazing new uh, social media platform helps you connect with your friends. Blah blah blah. Look where look where that was. Where everyone else used to think everyone used to think it was private, and that you was, you know, you was just on this platform with all your friends and family and sharing 
pictures of yourself and got like whatever else. And then, yeah, it comes out right from the beginning. It was selling all your information off and mm. create uh, putting all of your information into a database um, and so on and so on. But yeah, I kind of uh, went off there, but I agree with what you're saying in regards to the, uh, we're, we're gradually progressing. They call it progression. We're progressing into transhumanism, as you said. Mm. It's where we've kind of outdated, we've outlived and outdated our purpose. Like our country, religion, our nationality, our culture, our society that we grew up in and recognize as being ours. They don't want you to have that anymore. They don't want you to be connected to, um, again, that's why they, they want you separate from your parents. That's why they want you separate from your grandparents. They want grandparents and grandchildren separate because they don't want contamination. They want you to be updated. They want the, the children to be updated into this new way of, uh, this new way of being and into this new system. Mm. And yeah, um, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we, we, we're quoting so much of, of, of Klaus Schwab and, and obviously discussing the World Economic Forum. People who are listening to this might not really understand the, I say the clout that the World Economic Forum has. So I'm just going to quickly go over for you listening what the World Economic Forum is. So the World Economic Forum is, is something they call an INGO, which is an international non-governmental organisation. So they are essentially a uh, an, an entity that exists for really only two purposes. Those that aim to influence governments with a specific goal or what they call operational NGOs, which they provide a service to governments. So most of the time, these are non-profit organisations, but they do receive funding from contributors and donators um, alongside charging a membership fee. So if you were thinking that somehow the World Economic Forum, as it exists, is a place where anyone, regardless of background, can go, let me just let you know what the, uh, what the membership fees are for actually going along to these. So if you're looking, if, if you're... So First of all, it's admit, it's uh, invitation only. So if you're not invited to attend the World Economic Forum, you're not going. It's invitation only. Um, if you are invited and you're just an individual, say you're just a uh, an onlooker, wants to go and wants to wants to listen to some of the talks, is nineteen thousand dollars for a ticket. Um, if you want an annual membership, just as an individual, and this isn't a press pass, this doesn't give you the right to record, to do any kind of journalism, it's $52,000 for an annual membership. Um, industry partners are charged at $263,000, uh, and they've put the price up for their strategic partners to $628,000 per year. So a strategic partners are someone like um, one of the top tier groups. There's about 100 of them. So those groups are, 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 say, major banks. So they've got Barclays, they've got Bank of America, HSBC, Morgan Stanley, Standard Chartered Bank. Um, but they also include companies such as like Huawei, uh, Publicis, Omnicom, Facebook, Google. Um, so really, if you're, if you're even invited, it's very, very much a rich guys club. I think only about 15% of their their makeup is actually female at this point. So they're very much a, a, a male group. Um, if you have a look on their website, they've got a list of donators under, I find it odd, agenda contributors. Seems quite in the face, agenda contributors. But they've got 500 pages 
And every page has 50 individual entities or uh, people on those pages and people that have given them substantial donations. So you've got John Hopkins University, you've got the World Bank, you've got Pew Research Centre, the same Pew Research that's churning out much of the information on COVID-19. You've got dozens and dozens of kings, of princes, um, foreign royalty, Yale and Oxford University, the Catholic Church. The list literally goes on. And so 500 pages, 50 people per page. Um, and when you come to this event, it's over about five days up in the Alps in Switzerland. Uh, they have security and they pay about 10 million Swiss francs uh, for this security to make sure regular people don't go in. Um there's a journalist from the BBC who I found an article about it earlier, uh, just giving his event. Um, and he said that, that Davos, the, the, the town where they meet, uh, runs an almost caste-like system of badges. A white badge means you're a delegate, perhaps a chief executive of a company or the leader of a country. Access all areas and events. Everyone else, including all but the very most senior journalist, receive an orange badge that prevents access to many of the talks. So you've got a system. Even when you're invited at 19,000 each, you're still given a badge that says, no, you can't come to all the talks. You're not allowed to actually come to any of these events. And this is just my final point on this. So you can see just how big the World Economic Forum is that so many of these these massive companies are feeding into it. And you need to have a look into their history if you're reading because what's happened now is political leaders, country leaders, um, are waiting until the World Economic Forum's annual event and they're going there and then they're putting the cards on the table. So many of the stuff they're waiting to roll out in terms of sustainability, uh, war agreements, uh, finances, globalisation, they're waiting until these meetings to even bring them up so that it's, it's, it's not it's almost like the world economic forum now has massive 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 clout and massive finances behind it as well but my last point on this was that after you've gone say you're lucky enough lucky to go to the world economic forum you're lucky enough to get a ticket and you get to sit through all the the swill that they go on there is a, an unaffiliated black tie event hosted just afterwards in Washington and no journalists are allowed there, no press whatsoever. Um, this made me think very much, I know Nathan and Chris will know this, but and hopefully some of you guys at home will know it, of the Bilderberg meetings. Because what they used to do is when they would meet first of all, it was very much business first. And then it was pleasure afterwards. And we saw this when Alex Jones uh, caught the, um, the tail end of that in a video in 2000 when he and his cameraman snuck into one of these Bilderberg meetings. So the Bilderberg meetings were massive, very influential presidents, prime ministers, royalty, world leaders coming together in the redwoods of America to discuss what was going to be happening in the world it, it, it was basically the World Economic Forum light. It was leaders coming together to talk about what was going to happen, to, to make amends, to shake hands. And again, masses of security, invitation only, no women allowed. It was an elite boys club. And after they did all their meetings and all their thing, they, they, it, was all, it was all business first of all when it went into pleasure. So Alex Jones snuck into the latter end of that and caught a ceremony, if you'll believe it, called the Cremation of Care. So the, the Cremation of Care is a meeting where they, I mean, you can read about it on Google and what they say it stands for, but they say it's basically them casting aside their worldly cares, their, their worldly bondings, their 
basically casting aside their guilt. And when he infiltrated it and he got it on camera and you can find it on YouTube, you can find it on uh, BitChute, just type in uh, Alex Jones, um, Bilderberg or Alex Jones, Cremation of Care. He snuck into this. And once more, this this was was an event occupied entirely by world leaders, by millionaires and billionaires, by oil barons, by royalty, by prime ministers, by dictators, by every upper echelon of world elite. And he caught them doing the cremation of care where they were burning a wooden effigy of a child in front of a gigantic stone owl that is is symbolic, they've said, of Moloch. Um, Have a look at Moloch in your own time and see what that represents. But the burning of the child in front of Moloch is definitely not unrelated. Um, And it's interesting that so many of the members that go to the World Economic Forum now are exactly the same members that went to uh, to the Bilderberg groups. And someone actually published a list of the Bilderberg members and the World Economic Forum members, and you're looking at a 60-70% exact same clientele. So it is very, very curious that we've essentially got a um, we've got a, a new Bilderberg group. The Bilderberg, after all this stuff, has been in the news so much. There's been so much publication on them, what they do, and how strange it all is. I think Richard Nixon went to them, and when asked about them, the only comment he would make is he said it's... Uh, the, the the faggiest goddamn meeting he's ever been to. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I was going to say, um, basically, as you as you just rightly said, it's basically the same thing, dressed up in a new in a new dress, isn't it? That's all it is. And what what that is is public private partnerships, um, which is basically fascism, isn't it? It's, oh, it's mad. It's mad. And it, again, these are these are people that are meant to... You know, you can understand if these are meant to be the guys that are running our country and Alex Jones sneaks in there and he sees them all running around naked and getting drunk and doing cocaine and doing all that kind of stuff. You go, I can see why they're hiding in the Redwoods in America because they, they want to do all this stuff that they do, they can't do because they're constantly in the public eye. But when they're sacrificing wooden children in front of giant owls, yeah, you need to know, doesn't it? Really, I think at one point you said it was the the Bilderberg meeting that was in the redwoods, but I think you meant the Bohemian Grove, didn't you? Yes, sorry, yeah, Bohemian Grove. Yep, sorry. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, you have to <laughs> you have to gloss over all that because uh, yeah, I did mean uh, did mean so you have the Bilderberg meeting, but Bohemian Grove is where many of again these same individuals will will retreat um, to to essentially to continue these meetings from uh, the Bilderberg meeting to continue them on. Um, and again, it's meant to be we discuss them in private, but the 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 sheer level of 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 uh, security they hire is very indicative that it's... And again, you're not allowed into this event. I, I have no idea how Alex Jones got into it, but it is, it's such a credit that he did get into it because uh, I, I think that so many people don't know about that. And um, I'm going to test someone one day. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to... Someone who doesn't know that I we think the way we do, I'm going to go, oh, did you hear that conspiracy about the uh, all the world leaders meeting at that 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 forest retreat and and burning children in front of that big owl and they'll be like oh that's nutty and it is yes yeah, it's, it's all real uh, have a google if you don't again 
I'll say it again, I've said it on the other podcast, don't take anything we've said and just consider it gospel. Don't just go, oh, these guys, they're nuts. And don't, please, 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 don't do that dismissive thing. I know why people do it, because they have a worldview that they're looking to maintain. But anytime mm -hmm. someone tells me something about COVID, about vaccinations, about what's going on, about the NHS, about any of this, I ask them for sources, and if they don't reply, I'll go on Google, and I'll Google what they've said to find out if it's true, if it's presented exactly the same as they've presented it, if it's actually factual, or I will fact-check what they're saying. Please don't take what we're saying and dismiss it as though we are just pulling it out of the ether. But all you've got to do, punch it into Google, see what comes up, and again, if it doesn't read like we've told you it reads, you'll know that we're... We're not telling the truth on it. But I guarantee you, just take some of the things we spoke about tonight, some of the things Nathan's brought up, Chris has brought up, I've brought up, punch it into Google and see if they're not factual. But don't dismiss it just because you you find it difficult to believe because that's a fundamental part of how they do what they do, that your, your belief that people can't be this evil, can't be this clever, can't be this manipulative is exactly how they get away with it. And that's how tyrants have got away with doing things for the longest time because they don't think like you think. They don't feel like you feel. They don't have the heart that you have. They're very mm -hmm. much, when we're talking eugenics and we're talking the, uh, the, the rising of certain races, certain people, certain mindsets, they are a com almost a completely different breed of human to us in, in every form. They just don't function like we do. So honestly, do some, do some googly and don't believe that they wouldn't do it because that's how they've been doing this stuff. That's, that is exactly what they rely on as well. They rely on people taking things at face value and basically swallowing everything that they're given. Um, and unfortunately, that's something we've done throughout almost all of human history and that is why we're in the predicament we're in but hopefully you think in well I was going to say they're not winning yet and I think it's hard to believe that but yeah I, st I still don't think they're winning yet I think we still have a chance of perhaps offsetting some of this stuff if amen. I don't know yeah, amen. No. I mean if if, no. if they were winning they wouldn't need to keep pushing us. Do you know, they wouldn't have yeah. to keep shutting off any information we have to communicate, trying to close down all our sources. They're on the back foot, and they're always going to be on the back foot. I don't believe this is the first time in history that they have tried something so colossal. I think they've tried this a couple times before, and it, it possibly mm -hmm. hasn't worked, but they're, they're definitely on the back foot. I think we're probably getting to the point where we're kind of concluding the uh, the episode a little bit. But it's been so interesting. I think, given how much um, that you've just brought to light in this episode, I think we're probably going to have to jump back into this same topic again. And maybe what we could do is we could perhaps give it um, uh, carry on with some other facets of the, the, the whole um, agenda at play. And then we can loop back round to what's happening in a couple of weeks and see if anything has changed, because obviously they're, they're telling us now the vaccine is going to be ready by mid-December. And we're seeing the, the WEF and we're seeing a lot of things move. We're seeing a lot of movements happening at, at essentially warp speed. Um, so it would be good to loop into this again in the coming weeks and, and see where they've gone forwards. Um, I don't know what we want to what, what cover next week. I don't, what, what do you guys think? 
perhaps we could go into where we think this is going, I guess, in a little bit more detail. Because I think we've kind of, as you said, we've kind of backtracked. We've gone through a little bit of the history and tried to semi-work things out and how we've got to this kind of stage. But I think it might be good to try and work out perhaps where where we're heading, I guess, with it. Yeah, what about the same person? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, listen, I, tonight's been fascinating and um, I've been... I've been shaking my head and just like, you know, I've just been in disgust and disbelief and not disbelief, but um, I've been in disgust with what I'm hearing. And yeah, listen, I'm I'm happy to go with uh, with that as well. So, yeah, I'm good for that. It'd be awesome um, to, to wrap that into a little bit of a further expansion on perhaps... Um, the transhumanism, where we're going with that, the 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 uh, security surveillance systems that are coming in, what maybe things mm-hmm. we could be looking going forward with that, and again, social media because social media is, is playing such a massive, massive role, almost the, the leading role in yep. the propaganda, and let's call it what it is—the mind control that we're seeing through this. So maybe we can talk about again social media, digitization, uh, transhumanism. And, and wrap it all in. As I said, what they're using to get us where we need to go. But honestly, it's it has been fascinating. As I said to uh, to Chris before, um, I took a, a bit of a sit back this week and I didn't do absolutely reams and reams of research. I was very much like, Nathan's going to bring the gold to this one. And you absolutely did. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, you did. Um, and it's, it's it's been a pleasure to, to listen to it and learning. And as I said, normally I sit across from Chris. So I'll I'll be talking and I'll watch Chris laugh and frown and shake his head and look generally distraught and exasperated and it's been a pleasure to be in that position myself and be witness to so much I didn't know I'm definitely going to be grabbing a grabbing a pen re-listening to this writing some of these this stuff down that you've mentioned I'm going to be pouring it over myself to expand my own knowledge but yeah thank you so much man for coming on it's been amazing well cheers well obviously I, I wrote a load of notes down and I was trying to follow certain things and then it didn't work so I had to kind of uh, retrack where I was, and uh, you've been awesome. Thanks for that. you've been awesome. Yeah. No, <laughs> no way, no way. You've been awesome, definitely, hundred percent. Thank you very much, Nathan, and uh, okay. thank you, Brad, no. as well. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, um, we'll be back next week. Um, can't wait to hear this. Oh, listen, uh, tonight has been a good one, I have to say. Um, so yeah, look forward to next time. Yeah, until next week, guys. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Catch you later.